All right, so um, the way we're going to do it this morning is the there's a scripture plan that outlines passages for each Sunday. And so uh, you guys noticed we did Psalm 111. I'm going to touch on that. And generally, in that plan, there are one of the Psalms. Um, it's usually something from the Old Testament and a gospel and then um, one of the epistles. Okay, So it's, if you haven't uh, heard messages this way, it may sound like jumping around, um, and it may a little bit, but the idea is this. If, if this is what we come to, we're here about an hour a week, can we set the scripture before us, um, let the word and the spirit teach us, this is what's supposed to um, nourish us, and then I'll give some explanations as we go through, and hopefully you will have time to rest in the word and then maybe take uh, it home with you and consider it. So uh, it's Psalm 111 that we did, and then it's 1 Kings 19. It's the story of Elijah. And then we're going to talk about Ephesians chapter 4 and how we speak to one another. And then we're going to end with John 6, which talks about the bread of life. And so what I wanted to do is, is have a Christ-centered beginning. So what, um, as we go through different messages and different themes, I've mentioned before that uh, Gary Habermas has helped me write up a couple of core statements that I want to get before us so that we're putting Jesus first and really considering it and then considering what uh, I will say in the message in light of this truth, and then we're going to come back to it in a, in a sense at the end um, as we look at Jesus as the bread of life. So uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to um, read through this together, this, uh, this statement. Lord, thanks for today. Thank you for your scriptures. Thank you for the worship time. Thank you for Johnny's story. Thank you for being a God who moves in people's lives, moves in people like us right here, right now. And we thank you for the scripture. It's our guiding light through uh, the course of human, our own lives, Lord. We are able to look back. And through the characters and through the words of Scripture, we can then live in it to a degree ourselves. And we invite you in, Holy Spirit, to move. And we, we acknowledge the priority of your death in our lives, Lord, and that you have made a way for us to live forever. And we ask that you would guide us today as we listen and interact with your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So this one is one that uh, I wanted to focus on the atonement. So these are some of the, the truths that we have with the atonement. And I wrote it out. Uh, these are Gary's ideas, and then I kind of put them in um, somewhat of a like poetic kind of lineup for us. But if we can read it all together, ready? The greatest priest of all only made one sacrifice, one time for all time. One time for all people. Each strike of the whip, each point of the thorn, brought forth a ransom price only he could afford. Joy set before him as he marched through the street. The nails and the spear finished the work as the last of the blood price fell to the earth. Before we go too far, we want to recognize the price paid for us even to be here and to be able to 
live the lives we live with the insurance that we have as Jesus followers. It's got to start with that. Um, he's the Alpha and the Omega, and this is a good way to remember it. So now we're going to head into the scriptures, Ryan. If you want to turn to the uh, to the next one, this one is is further down in the Psalm that we read, and so it's um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do His commandments. So we're going to talk a little bit about fear on two different levels, but the first one is fear of the Lord. It's being aware that there is a God and I will stand before him. There's a song that we sang today, Alleluia, and there's a line in there where, and this was written by Scott Baker. Uh, he was the worship leader when, I, when we got, when Kirsten and I moved here in 95. And some of the, two of the songs, I think Ponder as well, we read, right? So we're still singing those songs. So there is a phrase, there's a line in there that it says, angels sing his glory. And so will I now and then when I see him. So the guy who taught us that song has been with the Lord for a couple years. He's seeing him right now. So it's good for us to remember that we will be before the Lord because the guy who wrote the song we just sang is there right now. So fear of the Lord is, is a good thing. It's the beginning of wisdom, lest I forget that I'm going to stand before him one day. And it's a good understanding, have all those who keep his commandments. And that's what we gather together. We're going to talk about, obviously, you, you may think first of the Ten Commandments, but then there's more commandments that came in through Scripture that are words of life, that are teaching us how to live our life well. And so that's what we're going to look at. And then do you want to turn to the, um, to the next one, Ryan? All right, so this story comes from um, 1 Kings 19. And it's a story of Elijah. Many of you would recognize um, stories about Elijah. And so just kind of by way of, of remembering, um, he's about 800 years before Jesus. It's a rough time politically. He's in the northern kingdom. You guys um, might remember my analogy of the little kid putting paint on the wall and the patience of the parent as the kid did this over a period of months, painting the wall and didn't get punished to the end. Um, I taught in that story that your perspective depends a lot on when you're entering the story versus you enter the kid on the first mark or 30, 60 days later on the last one when he gets punished for painting on the wall. God is right at this point. Um, he's in the northern kingdom, and the northern kingdom is considerably more disobedient than the southern kingdom, and they're about to get booted out in 722. So he has to live. Elijah has to live in a very, very tumultuous, uh, difficult, discouraging time, and with uh, rulers who are just horribly corrupt and violent to top it all off. So you would have heard of Ahab and Jezebel. So th this is a tough time. That's when he's called to live out. And he's done a few things. He's, um, he's proclaimed this drought, drought, and that is what uh, sets him at odds um, with the rulership, ruling rulers at that point. He's proclaimed it. Then remember, God pulls him away, and, and he hides him in this brook, and he stays there, and he's fed by the ravens, and then uh, the brook dries up. And then God says to him, okay, the brook's dried up. I want you to travel and go to this poor widow, and she's going to provide. And he obeys, and he goes there, and the widow is just preparing her last meal before she dies. So God has stretched him by asking him to obey and do some things that might seem like not the best idea. And 
and he follows through. And then he gets a chance to raise this widow's son. And then uh, you have the confrontation with all those priests of Baal on the mountainside. So this is a picture of Mount Carmel. It might be not the exact spot where it happened, but but this is um, Mount Carmel. And so it's a real place. And these things happened at a real place. And you'll remember he had that confrontation and, and just challenged the priests of Baal to make something happen. And they couldn't do anything. And then fire comes down from when he calls on God to consume them, consume the offering. And then he's this great victory. And so right after that, is, is he, he then, the drought's going to end. And remember, he's waiting. And there's just a cloud, a tiny little cloud. And he's up praying. And it was seven times the servant went until the cloud came, uh, till the rains came. And then where we're jumping into the story is going to be then uh, Jezebel. And you can switch to the next one, Brian. Uh, so, so Jezebel sends a messenger and says, look, you're dead. This time tomorrow, you're done for. And so what does he do? He runs. He runs to get away, and he enters this, what I would call, depression. And so he's, he's far away. And you can flip to the next one, Ryan. Um, there's, a, there's, a broom, there's a picture of a broom tree. I don't know that it was a tree he was under. But just to give a sense of it, he's under this tree when, when some of this stuff happens. And, and what's important to recognize, and my hope is that in mentioning those three different or a couple different scenarios with Elijah, that you may be able to think about connecting with one of them. In your life right now, you could be at that victory point. You could be right after the prophets of Baal have surrendered and God has shown up big in your life. You could be right there. You could be at the waiting point. You could have stepped out in promises of God. You've made this bold uh, statement. And then the picture is of Elijah up on the mountain with his head between his knees, praying and saying, go see if it really happened yet. He sends the servant. So you may be in a waiting time. And there might not be a lot of evidence for fruit of the obedience that you've engaged in as a Jesus follower. You might just be looking and waiting for something to happen. You also might be at this stage where you've run and you are hiding out. And he says it's just he doesn't want to live anymore. And he's wondering what the purpose of his life was. This season, this last two years, I've talked to more people who have just flat out said, I've been depressed. And this is where Elijah is. And maybe you're there. Maybe you're there where you're just discouraged and you just don't know how to even function anymore. So we, we have this benefit with the scriptures of real, real people who went through real experiences. So he's under this tree and uh, he says, uh, he says, then from there he went, um, he leaves there. Remember, he's under the tree, and in a neat way, uh, God nourishes him because he gives him, uh, an angel comes and gives him cakes, like I imagine like rice cakes, which I don't really like. I'm sorry, but, um, but that's what I'm thinking, and water. And he takes a nap. And, and how many times have you, uh, as a parent, you're dealing with your kid and your kid's like all worked up, and you know the kid just needs to take a nap. Right. Just like lay down and it's going to be all right. As grownups, sometimes we need to take a nap. We just get all wound up and just take a nap. Just take a nap. 
And so this happens twice. He takes a nap. And, and then he's woken up, and this food nourishes him, and he, and he travels to uh, Mount Horeb. And then the next picture is the cave. So I, I want you to maybe consider you're Elijah, and you're in this cave. And so you're coming to the edge of this cave because you've said um, he went into a cave, and he spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of, word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Now later, we won't get to it, but God affirmed him there's 7,000 more. But one of the battles with depression is you feel very alone. You feel alone and in a cave. And so... God says to him, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rock into pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in, the, in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. So he gives that same speech again. We have a God who speaks to humans. He encourages us uh, through a still, small voice. And I've never heard God's audible voice. I'm not saying no one could. I'm just being honest, I haven't heard an audible voice. But I know that God speaks, and it's usually not by screaming. It's this still, small voice. So if I were to come to that mouth of the cave, at this point in my life, August 2021, and said to God, just stood before him, and he said, what are you doing here, Brian? What are you doing? And the older we get, the more we see how things didn't turn out. You'd be like, well, this isn't working, and that isn't working, and I tried this, and the clouds rain, or you know, all those times that we feel alone. What are you doing here? And God has put us here. God has put you in the spot you're in. And it can be slow sometimes. It can be discouraging sometimes. It can feel alone sometimes. There are different seasons you enter into, and you just feel like you've done everything that God's asked you to do. It doesn't seem to be turning out, and you are really suffering for it. And God's saying, what are you doing here? So as we go out, you know, as we live our lives, we're probably not going to encounter 450 prophets of Baal. Probably not. And we probably won't live the kind of life at the level that Elijah lived, but we will go out and live a life. So I'm asking the Lord, okay, what am I supposed to do most of the time? Although we were in Mexico last month, I mean, most of the time my life is like Madison Heights to Lynchburg, and I'm doing stuff that seems rather, you know, basic. So how am I seeking to learn from the Lord more? How am I seeking purpose in my life? How am I 
growing. Um, and so you can do the next slide if you want to, uh, Ryan. All right, so this is a, a little bit longer of a passage, and this is what we're going to look at. Because I want to grow in this. I don't want my life in Jesus to have ended once I learned the Ten Commandments. I believe that God is continuing to teach us, and that if I'm alive today, if my name was not in the obituary, it means that I have an opportunity to grow in my faith today. And I'm assuming that those of you who come in this room have this concept in mind, that you don't have it all figured out. Uh, it's sad to me when I think um, Christianity at times has been boiled down to just having your salvation covered as if once you've got that done and you know a few Bible studies stories, you're finished and you, you know it all. That's not a biblical picture. So we've got this passage before us. It's Ephesians, and it's living out this uh, life in early followings of Jesus. First couple decades after people started following Jesus, Christians started gathering together. Um, and you can, uh, actually, I'm going to read it up here. Uh, as we look down those things, obviously, most of you have read this before. But I want us to think about it in a little deeper way today. He says, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one body. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to its hearers. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Walk in love as Christ also has loved us, and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. All right, so here's where I come in. Um, I didn't become a believer till I was 20. So as I entered the Christian community, I, uh, I think I mentioned to you I was a little nervous to pray because there were cuss words that were qu quite useful as adjectives in my vocabulary. And so I was even hesitant, like going somewhere for dinner. There, I knew there were some words, obviously, that I shouldn't have said in the first place, but that Christians wouldn't say. But then I learned there was kind of like a sublist that I just didn't know about um, that may still slip into uh, out, especially if I drop something on my foot. But there, um, I thought, okay, Christians don't cuss. Like that's the speaking. And I would say my experience with that has been true. For the most part, Christians don't cuss. I mean, we're pretty good at that. But this next part, as I look at it, it's more than what we don't say. It's how we do speak to one another. Because my dog doesn't cuss either. So when I look at this, I'm learning how to speak the truth in love, which Ephesians 4.15 earlier in this chapter, I'm not that impressed with the way Christians have done that in my general lifetime. Um, and I've thought, how do I get better at doing that? Because I'm not that good at it either. So am I learning from the Lord how to speak the truth in love? So this is what I've come up with. My first question is, if something, is it true? Is it accurate? Because there have been times I've had misinformation and gone off on, launched off on something that wasn't true. So take time to investigate it. Um, the second thing I'm saying, am I the one to say it? Because sometimes just the nature of my life or 
how things are going in my life, it'd be very difficult for someone to hear advice from me if their situation isn't the same. Okay, so I won't give examples, but you guys can think about that. Sometimes if your life is going well in a certain area and someone is really lacking, like things aren't working out for them, then it's difficult to hear from you because all they can see is, well, of course, I'd say the same thing if I was in your or in your shoes. So that and the third thing is, can the person hear it? And that was the hardest for me to learn because I would think, well, this is true and this person needs to hear it. And I'm the one to say it. I was just so focused on getting it out. I didn't stop to think, can that person actually hear it right now? Because if it's loving for that person, I might need to wait a year or two until they can actually hear me. So do we speak the truth in love? Because we're all members of one another. And we can, if, un if truth unspoken in love, we can whack each other pretty good. And it's not comfortable. We need to remember we're members of one another. And some of you have heard me tell this story. Uh, I was president of the rugby team in college. And so we usually you know, had an A game. So we, I went to the University of Richmond, and we played like William and Mary or Virginia Tech or James Madison. And then there was a B game where it didn't. It was just for everybody else who didn't get to play. Well, one time we were playing one of those schools, and the other team. It was it was the only time this happened. They only had 14 of the 15 players. So I had to go to one of our guys and ask if they would play for the other team. So he didn't want to. I mean, who would want to? But he did, and he was he was about my size, and he did. Well, we had a guy on our team that was huge, and he just loved to crunch people. I don't know if he cared about the ball or the score or any of that, but he hit like a freight train, and he clocks this guy like three times, our own guy. And I, I pulled him out. I was like, dude, he's our guy. And he says, I, I know, but he's wearing the other team's uniform. I, I said, but he's our guy. Like he practiced with us, but, but he's wearing the uniform. And he couldn't get it into his head not to crush this guy. It, it stunned me that he just couldn't. But we're all members of one body. So if as we interact with other believers, we forget that we're on the same team and like tackle each other and whack each other, we can forget that. We've got to remember that with the truth. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath nor give a place to the devil. It's not that we can't be angry, but we are angry. The likelihood of sinning is greater, and you guys know it. So pause right at that point because you, don't, you lose your temper, and then Satan gets a foothold. And I promise you that if I asked for you guys to give me examples, numerous ones of you could give me an example of someone who said they're a Jesus follower and said something in anger that you can quote word for word from 20 years ago. And Satan used it to beat down your vision version of yourself. So that happens, and we can still grow in it in not doing that. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it might impart grace to its hearers. In other words, if I'm saying something, that person should say, okay, I was edified by that. And it imparted grace to me. Well, would people say that about me? Would they say that about you? Oh, Brian, yeah, he said this to me, but it really edified me, and it just was just grace flowing. Do we practice that? 
one of the ways we can practice the grace is if we have a problem with a person or a group of Christians or whatever, say something positive that you like about what they're doing or who they are before you lay the, well, I just, I've been meaning to tell you this for a while. Um, learn how to be great. The name of our church is grace. So we should be growing in that as worldwide Christians. And as I see frustration and, and this week, is it ramped up again. You know, the COVID stuff is, is turning the temperature up in our culture. What are we going to do with that? Are we going to lean into the Lord and say, okay, how am I going to be more gracious in how I express my opinions about this whole thing or deal with people I have to deal with because of it? Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ, God in Christ forgave you. I've got to stand before the Lord. Scott Baker's with him right now. I'm going to be there. And I've got to talk, I've got to explain why I acted the way I acted or spoke the way I spoke. And did people who were around me leave? Doesn't mean I always agree with everything or that, that I'm never supposed to say anything difficult. But do people leave generally from being around me and say, okay, he's interested in my edification. He's interested in building me up. And it was grace to my ears the way he spoke. So it says, walk in love as Christ also loved us and has given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. When you leave the presence of somebody, um, do they leave? Do, as you leave, is the grace of God left in the room? Uh, there was a story about a guy who had stayed at a house, and he left, and he forgot his hat. So someone asked, called back to the house to the the. Um, the man that, or the wife that was still there and said, "Did you? is his hat there? Um, she said, no, I couldn't find his hat, but the aroma of his, of his presence in our home is still there. You know, that sense of this guy came in and blessed our home. Being around this person, regardless of what they even said, drew me closer to Christ and made me want to be more like Jesus. Is that what people are saying about you, me, and us, um, Christians as a whole and Christians in this church. So let's uh, go to the next slide there, right? Focusing on Jesus. He's the bread of life. We're bringing it back to him. He nourishes us. Um, you can turn to the John slide now. And it is written, um, it talks about being taught by the Father. Do you see yourself as being taught by God right now? Do you see yourself as someone that needs regularly to be nourished by Christ's word and through the sacrifice of his death? Do you see yourself as still needing that? Because I know I do. I've only got so many days on this earth, and I want to use those days to be stepping in to more and more of who Christ made me to be. Because I think it's very clear that scripture calls for us to grow. There's a sense of growing. And there's a good chance God designed it for us to grow with the people right in this room. So the commitment that we're hoping to move towards is just to grow more and more and say, okay, Lord, in the presence of this body, we're going to help all each other grow in the way we speak and the way we think. And then you can do the last one, Ryan, up there. So this is the, um, the psalm that I'm going to just do line by line, and then I'll pray. And then, Neil, if you want to come up uh, for the elder update and then um, 
Eric and Amy Couch, if you want to come up to be ready to be prayed for. And, and Lucas, after Neil's done, you can come up. Okay. So incline my heart to your testimonies. Lord, move in our hearts that we may want to learn your truth, that we may desire to read your word. And not and, and not covetedness. Lord, I don't want to covet things that don't last. Lord, I do not want, and I pray for each one of us that you would purify our hearts so that we wouldn't covet things that are not beneficial. Turn my eyes away from looking at worthless things. Lord, we are drawn to so many things that don't fill or nourish our souls. Turn our eyes away and revive me in your way. Lord, we need you to revive us. It's outside the human capacity to do it. We are dependent upon you like we are dependent upon oxygen and food and water. Lord, you are the bread of life, and we ask you to revive us. Establish your word to your servant. Lord, firm up the concepts in my mind from your scriptures that guide my life. Who is devoted to fearing you. Lord, may we all be people who are devoted to fearing you. May we be filled with joy as we recognize the great gift you've given us and filled with a purposeful life, one of seeking to glorify you in everything we do and say and think. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Neil, come on up.